Mr. Bester. Captain Sheridan. Get the hell out of my chair. So how did you find out about all of this? I'm a telepath. Work it out. Your war... is now my war. It will take you into the council, Jakar. And someday, when all this is over, perhaps you will find it in your heart to forgive me. I am honored to be among you. This is a great day. A very great day indeed. Investors back. Give me one good reason why I shouldn't blow you out of the sky. With secret information. Locking weapons. But can they trust him? We have a common enemy. On an all-new Babylon 5. Do not thump the book of Jaquan. It is disrespectful. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. back to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices i am blake and once again we are missing scott tonight we have apparently lost him in rural kansas where he is drinking mixed drinks out of mason jars so if we need a rescue expedition to the midwest we may be calling on a few of you to get scott out of what must be hell figured we'd throw that out there <laughs> but in scott's place tonight we have a special guest ryan Welcome back. Hello. It is I, Ryan Slowinski from Yum Yum Podcast, the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast, or the nation is known as, according to Mike, Yum Yum Land, where we say hooly dooly when things excite us because we're just ever so excitable little creatures that live in strange time zones. But I'm here to replace Scott, who was just too busy. And if you want to hear Scott's thoughts on Ship of Tears, that's actually the episode where we've had a member of Grey 17 on our podcast. And uh, yeah, we're watching through Babylon 5, one episode at a time. We're actually on the fifth and final season right now where things are just popping off. So many crazy storylines. I, I wish I could tell you guys, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but yes, Walker Smith is obviously going to be in the series finale, giving a thumbs up next to a Zima sign. Oh, no, sure. oh sorry, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have mentioned it, but... I'm really keen to talk to you guys yet again. Man, we bring him in and we already get spoilers for season five. That's that's what we get. <laughs> you had me at SEMA. Now I just need the Jolly Ranchers to go with it. <laughs> oh, that brings back I have some no memories. idea what he's talking about, so doesn't matter. Uh -huh. How could you forget Walker Smith from TKO? Garibaldi's best friend, the boxer. Uh, yeah. 
My you gave a thumbs up. It. it was your favorite episode. <laughs> yeah, a few members of this podcast have tried to forget that episode specifically. <laughs> I've been fairly successful in doing so. <laughs> Never forget. So, I am Blake, and with me is Dustin, Emily, Kevin, Nicole, Mike, Ryan, and Ryan's here too. Justin, I believe you have a synopsis in this episode, and I am sure you're going to have some thoughts, so I can't wait to hear this. Uh, I kind of toned it down a little bit. I want to save some for discussion, but uh, yeah, in Ship of Tears, everyone is excited when ISN finally comes back on the air. Excitement quickly turns into eye rolls and sighs when it's discovered that it's just a diarrhea mouthpiece for the Clark regime. Bester peeks his snakehead from under a rock to offer to help B5 in tracking down weapons being sent from Earth to the shadows, to quote Charlton Heston, it's people! Jakar finally gets his wish and gets admitted into the War Council, uh, but learning, but while learning some sombering secrets along the way. And then finally, saddle up, buckaroos, as, la- as the Cold War finally turns hot as the shadows go on the attack openly. All right. Thank you for that synopsis, Justin. And I didn't think we would hear buckaroos in a synopsis on this show, but there we have it. So let's go ahead and go to our newbies for their first impressions of this episode. And let's start with Nicole. This was a really good episode. As you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Bester, but he kind of sort of just a little bit won me over tonight on this episode when I watched it because... He was his smarmy, smart-ass self, but it was kind of like a lovable hatred. It's like, God, I hate you, but damn, you're right. You know what I mean? With the, I'm beginning to think you don't like me here. It just, it made me laugh. And that's the first time Buster ever made me laugh. I mean, I still don't trust him, but the fact that he, I I feel like he's kind of got a stake in the game now, um, as we'll discover as we discuss the episode. So it was kind of cool to see him kind of flip to the right side of history here again like Ivanova said at the end as soon as he doesn't have a stake in it he'll turn which I can see but also it's good to have that knowledge that he brought to the table um, going forward as we're gonna start battling the shadows so that was kind of fun the Jakar and Delenn scene when she told him about keeping silent that was a really powerful scene like it brought a tear to my eye it was so good like they're acting and just the the empathy and compassion and the hurt and the anger but like it just all culminated it was great writing and great acting all in one it was so good i'm glad he finally got into the inner circle and he got in on the on the info and then uh as far as what they found on the ship holy shit um that was wild so there's a i have a lot to say about this episode but i guess my basic overall thoughts are it was really good and i really feel like this is a catapult to something big so i'm excited to see what happens next you, know, you mentioned that scene with uh Delenn and jakar and that's one of those we've talked about a couple times beyond the rim so far when we've talked about this season and the, those big Delenn moments in the scenes where she's just got these great lines and this great acting this was one of the other ones this season uh, for a standout Delenn moment with that and obviously as we've said andreas katsoulis and any scene he's in just brings it Emily, how about your first impressions? It was a really good episode. I still do not trust Buster at all. Never have, never will. Um, And his comment about enemy of my enemy is my friend. I'm like, yeah, that's a temporary friendship and it's not going to last because you still have your shitty ass goals with Psychor running everything. I really did like the scene between Dylan and Jakar because that was a very difficult thing for her to tell him. His reaction was not what I expected. And Justin? Yeah, I mean, same. It's 
honestly, I was sitting there watching the one of the first time I watched the episode. I thought Jakar was going to lose his shit. Like I was like puckered up, kind of waiting for waiting for it all to hit, and then it didn't. I was like, and then I could finally breathe. Like I I realized I was holding my breath for a lot of that scene, and that's like, oh okay, whoo. Okay, I can calm down. I can breathe again. That's how that's how much that scene, you know, gets you. So I 100% agree with what everyone is saying about how that was probably like that the pinnacle of that entire episode was that exchange. But going back to the rest of it, I didn't know this was a Star Trek crossover episode. I didn't know we'd get to a Borg queen um to kind of show up in the middle in, in the middle of the med lab. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty interesting. 100% on Bester. Even Ivanova said herself, as soon as this is all over, he's going to turn on us. You know that, right? So that was always everything that everything he says or does during this episode or even in the future, I'll take worth it worth one grain of salt. But as long as they have him on their side for now, not a bad weapon to have in your back pocket, I guess. But cinematically, I thought this this was a very interesting episode. The scene that kind of takes it, uh, kind of comes to mind for me is when they bring in that dead alien pilot and they kind of lift the sheet. And then you see it kind of all just start to kind of pan behind Sheridan where then you finally see the grotesque dead alien pilot or whatever it is. It was just, there were some different shots that they were kind of, I think, experimenting with or different shots they were using in this episode that from a cinematic standpoint, it just really was... Uh, something kind of new territory for them too, but then yeah, I, I was I was uh, definitely proven wrong. Uh, one of my early predictions about Psycor kind of being behind and running the scenes behind the Clark regime, because you know as we found out, it looks like Earth is kind of moving against Psycor, or at least uh, elements of the Clark regime is by selling telepaths or giving telepaths to the shadows. But uh, we'll get there here in a little bit. But yeah, I was wrong about that one. I'll have to admit. All right, and let's go to someone who I'm sure has absolutely no thoughts, opinions, or anything to say about this episode at all. Ryan. Oh, well, if I if if I had a nickel for every time I've been on this podcast where the A story is about Besta coming on board and the B story is about us learning that Jakar is a deeper, more nuanced character than we may have expected, I would have two nickels, and that's not much, but it is unusual, but I love it anyway. I like this episode. It's fun. It's got great reveals. It's got Bester, who's a delight as usual. You, He is a villain, as Nicole hinted at, as you love to hate him. He's just ever so punchable, and he knows it. He, 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 he is... Every time he comes in, they have a new layer of evil to him. In this one, he's Mr. Eugenics Freak all the way. He's, I'm the powerful one and you guys are mundanes, your little rabbits underneath me and you mean nothing to me. But as someone rewatching it, I just love the Jakar Delen stuff because that's a story that you could have easily just skipped over. You could have just easily had Jakar joins the group and everyone's friends, but instead... JMS has made it a plot line that you guys have even talked about. You guys have said, why isn't he in the council? Like, why isn't he a part of this group? What's going on? They better have a good answer for that. And the answer is very good. I love the answer to it. I love the weight and responsibility. And it makes you look back at Delenn and John in season two, where Jakar is having to weep in the corridor because all they can do to help him is give him food. Oh, some food while they're staying silent on other things. I love this episode. I think it's great. And Justin said it. The cinematography 
wonderful. There's that sequence with Bester in the brig, and it's so dark, and he just looks like a hovering head in the air talking to Ivanova. That is, he just is so menacing, and the darkness in that in that room is really well done. It gives the episode a spooky feel, a bit more of a horror feel, which pays off in the end with all of the Borg Queen stuff, as mentioned, and uh, all of the weird alien stuff. It's great. I like it. All right. How about Mike? Um, you know, the best episodes are the Bester episodes. Uh, really good episode. Solid premises all around. It's one of the... I like this one because I feel like maybe be maybe more than most episodes in the series. It's one that is like really hard sci-fi. You, you get a lot of uh, action with with the new ships and the star furies in the beginning uh you get those elements of uh, that reminded me of the movie uh fire in the sky of an alien abduction and like you know some some body horror mixed in and and all around as you guys pointed out excellent cinematography um and, and direction this is uh you know no surprise it's michael behar is the director and he's the director of probably most of the best episodes if not all of the best episodes in this series so um you know, and and you guys hit the nail on the head. Besides all of that, it's it's moving the plot forward in a plot, and it's got a really big, really nice emotional impact in the B plot. Uh, it's it's just good all around. Great acting, great plot. You name it. You know, it's funny you mentioned that movie Fire in the Sky, and I laugh every time I hear someone reference that one. <laughs> Only for the reason of, you know, my family on one side is distantly related to the subject of that movie. So every time it gets brought up, I just have to shake my head and laugh. It's, it's funny because that movie gave me absolute nightmares as a child. So All I'm saying is meth is that? a hell of a drug. Oh. <laughs> Kevin. Family was related to that. That's interesting. That is interesting. Kevin, what have you got? This is a great episode. Um, I really like this one. I think besides, you know, the fact that you've all pretty much talked about the Jakar and Delenn scene, which deserves a lot of, a lot of discussion. I also really enjoy. Thanks for mentioning it, Ryan. The uh, the the scene with Ivanova and Bester is could really be underrated with the weight of that uh, Delenn and Jakar scene in the same episode. But I I really liked Walter Kane acting in in that one in particular because of he's really messing around with Ivanova during a lot of that scene. the The whole Casca Montiato thing I thought was really funny. You could really miss the fact that he he intimates the possibility that he may have known Ivanova as a mother by saying oh you have her eyes and, and you're left to wonder oh what does that mean this is a very weighty episode and i really can't wait to talk about it so let's do that yeah i agree with what you've all said too this episode is a great one for many reasons and yeah we've kind of had a couple lighter ones recently uh that have curious to hear but to me this is really where the story picks back up after the station breaks away from earth and you see isn come back and the issues with that but for me best i love any episode that bester shows up we've mentioned it on the show before that yes he is Chekhov, but a lot of us look at this and you know bester is his better role he gets so much more to do and play with as bester the range he plays the character with, you know, you've got these moments where you almost feel sorry for him. And then you've got these moments where he's just being such a smug little prick and it's great. And the way he interacts with the rest of the cast, I mean, you mentioned the bit with Ivanova, but I also love it on the white star uh, where they're on the bridge and Sheridan walks up and, you know, yes, captain, get the hell out of my chair. 
you know, just, I love that scene in this, but another great scene in here, as I've already mentioned, is that one with Dolin and Jakar. And you go back a few episodes where Dolin even made the comment to Jakar, you're not the person I met all, you know, three years ago when I got here. This episode is the one that brings that statement home. This is not the Jakar that was in The Gathering or or Midnight on the Firing Line. Um, this is a character that has grown that can now see the bigger picture and even says that in the dialogue a little bit. So overall, for me, this is one of my favorite episodes of the season and of the series. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into discussion. And I see people moving around as hands are waving. So let's go to Justin. Two things. One, more of a production question. Was was Bester really cut during when, when Ivanova slapped him? Because I thought maybe it was a makeup thing. But then more over the course of that scene, I don't know if it was just the lighting, but it kind of looked like it was actually starting to bleed a little bit. So I don't mm -hmm. know if maybe something happened to where Ivanova accidentally like cut him and they just left it in there. But that's one thing after watching the episode twice, it it looks the same to me both ways. Like maybe that was a mishap on set and he actually got, you know, shed some blood. I didn't see anything on that. Kevin or Ryan, either of you run across anything on production? It looked like a makeup thing to me, but I didn't see anything in the production notes that I, I was reading through. Yeah, I just I just take it as uh, Ivanova slapped him so hard he bled. And isn't that just great to see after he's walked around <laughs> for three seasons with no one touching oh, him at it. all? I mean, yeah, well, I Sinclair it. did punch him in the first episode, but no one's really touched him since then. And Ivanova hates Psychops, so it's great to see her slap him real good. Nicole? Yeah, I also really enjoyed the Ivan of a bitch slap. Um, I was very shocked that she did it. But the minute he mentioned her mom, I was like, ooh, he shouldn't have done that. And then, bam, she bitch slapped him. And I, too, also wondered if he was bleeding as well. So I'm going to chalk it up to she made his ass bleed. And as rightfully so, she gave him a fat lip. So, But, yeah, Blake, I, that was a really good scene that kind of did get a little overshadowed because Ivanova basically went in there as a test to see if he was going to be scanning and up to some bullshit. You know what I mean? So it was really risky for her to go in there in the first place. But also the way that she kind of approached it and handled it, it was very cautious. I mean, it's very clear that the disdain for the side core that she has. But I really thought it was cool to see how the scene developed. Um, it was kind of eerie and just icky. And then, you know, she actually got some valuable information out of him. Uh, he didn't scan her um, and she bitch slapped him. So I, I just tend to agree with you that I think that that was a, also a great scene that kind of did get overshadowed. I wrote that down, too. I said, holy bitch slap. That's what I wrote in my <laughs> notes. So I thought the acting in that was really good as well. And and it is. He is such a smarmy little fucker. But it's like at the same time, you can't help but like him a little bit. And I hate that. I hate that I feel that way. But he's just such a good actor. And I don't know shit about Star Trek or whatever the fuck Chekhov is. I don't know what that is. But I do know that the Bester character is very well written and very well acted, even if he is a smarmy little shit. Well, in fairness, you know, we, we've all had a chance to meet and interview Claudia, and I'm pretty sure if she was going to bitch slap somebody, she could make it bleed. I'm just, she seems like the type that could probably pull that off. Yeah, she mentioned growing up with a bunch of brothers and that she had to, she had to kind of hang with those guys, so. Yeah. Go ahead, Kevin. Walter Koenig's talked about this. He almost kind of derides what, you know, he did on Star Trek a little bit when he says that, you know, he was really just there for information. You know, he really didn't get much to chew on as an actor in Star Trek, but he certainly does here. And, you know, in this episode, this is his favorite episode of the series. 
And he really had to reevaluate the character a little bit because he was just a malevolent jackass, you know, up until this point. And this shows a little bit more of a, you know, more well-rounded character. And, you know, I'll, I'll be very interested to, to watch, you know, the newbies, you know, as they, as they see uh, Bester go on through the series, because the acting of Walter Koenig is very, very good. Um, and it's it's a very enjoyable guest star role for him. So that's, you know, that's an awesome thing. Brian? Well, since we're tackling Bester, I appreciate that we start out the episode with Sheridan in his element. He's flying around space. He's having a jolly old time. He's got a new toy to play with. And then, uh oh, we've got to help save someone. And it's our good friend, Bester, just hanging out, uh, trying to lure them in. Oh, come on. Oh, you recognize my voice. Oh, how uh, you remember me. I like that. That's so sweet. Just come in visual range so I can look at you and just possibly do something. No, you don't want to? Fine. And they bring him on board and we he's joking around about how no one likes him and i really like that over the course of the series the b5 crew have had more permission to just shit talk Bester to his face. Like the formalities that they have to go through is no longer existent like in the first season where they had to it was their job to talk to him. Now it's no longer their job to talk to them. They can contemplate blowing him out of the sky and there would be no ramifications. Who cares? But I really liked this one thing in the lead up to Ivanova going in that room, which was Sheridan says, okay, we have to deal with Bester. Can't use the the sleepers because he said it won't help the mission. But everyone except for Ivanova, go away. Ivanova, hey, you're you're latent telepath who's constantly afraid of the psycho, right? Um <laughs> Can you? Can we use you in this uh, mission? Can we use your abilities? And I just really adored the way Claudia Christian delivered that line of like, like she said, like, you're not going to do this to me, are you? Like, you're going to do this? You're going to use me like this? And it was just such a great portrayal because Avonova is constantly afraid of this side of herself. And we never really, we haven't really got to see much of it being used. So this episode had that premise of like, he's here. You go in there and be the, the guinea pig for us. And I thought that was just such a interesting move on the part of Sheridan. Like we love Sheridan, but here he is being the tactician and saying, "You you have an ability that none of us have. Go go test him." And then she goes in there and she keeps her cool. She slaps him, but still keeps her cool as he rattles off all of this supremacist bullshit. The you guys are lesser. You're jealous of my psychic abilities, and you just the irony of it all. But I just really love all of that lead-in to Bester being here, where there's a bit of a jovial quality, but our characters are not having fun with it. Avonova has to go through so much in this episode as well. I just I, really, I just thought it was really well done, especially with Claudia Christian's line deliveries, where she's having to keep up this facade of being cool and collected, but she's afraid. Justin? Comparing, I guess, Bester in that scene where he's all the degradation he does over first he calls them normals and then now they're mundanes or whatever he likes to call them gives me kind of Magneto vibes. I'm a big fan of the comic books of the X-Men, stuff like that. Magneto was always one of my favorite villains. The big difference between Magneto and Bester though is, is, um, is 
Magneto's at least sympathetic. You know, you can sympathize with Magneto and where he's coming from. Bester, I'm not there yet. Uh, but one thing I actually want to go back to the uh, scene of, one, how much sense does it make for kind of the de facto leader of an independent nation to go jockeying off in a starfighter uh, for no damn reason? But we won't get into those kind of details. But I actually, were the Star Furies always two-seaters? Or is those just the new ones? So those are the new ones. And they, they actually mentioned in dialogue, those were the ones they got from the uh, Churchill. Yeah, the ones that have atmospheric flight. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hope we get to see then those in some hardcore action because those look pretty cool. And I do have to give a shout out for the P-58 Mustang kind of paint job on the Star Fury that uh, that uh, Sheridan was, was flying. So really like that part. But one thing that I kind of picked up on with that whole exchange between Sheridan and Bester that I thoroughly enjoyed is that scene where, you know, Sheridan's like, why don't I just blow you out of the sky? And Bester's being his normal cocky self. Well, you're curious what I have to say. Why would I come all the way out here? And then he's quiet and everything's just quiet. And Sheridan has to go, I'm thinking about what to do. And just for a couple seconds, you start to see fear in Bester's eyes. Like you could tell he's actually for the first time, afraid of Sheridan, or at least openly showing that fear of Sheridan. So like, oh my God, he might actually do it. So I kind of got a good chuckle out of that part. Justin, to your point about silly that Sheridan is driving around the the cool spaceship, what's the point of being the boss if you can't have a little fun with it? Oh, I agree. But I'm just like... I, I, I kind of want to be a fly on the wall before that discussion where everybody's telling him, you know, you're kind of, you know, let's call it the, you know, the de facto president of this whole mm-hmm. station. Like you're you're running the whole damn thing. You know, if Joe Biden says, hey, I want to go test fly an F-22 Raptor, a lot of people are going to try and probably tell him that's oh, not yeah. a good idea. Yeah. But like, Sheridan, Sheridan's always been kind of dumb like this. He's he's the cowboy. Yeah. He was the guy that's like, I'm going to go fly off and rescue people. Don't do this, Sheridan. And you might something might yeah. happen. What could go wrong? Gets abducted by aliens. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so that's kind of the that that was what was in my thought during this entire part where he's flying around and testing it. And I'm like, they would be showing it if something didn't happen. Well, then, of course, nothing necessarily. Well, your version of bad insert here, but nothing really bad happened. It just Bester showed up and now we had to deal with him. But it is what it is. Well, it could have been worse, Justin. After landing, he could have given a speech in front of a Mission Accomplished banner. So, I mean, you know, it works. <laughs> Nicole. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, that was good, Blake. Um, two things I want to follow up with on Justin. Um, he did say, they did say at the beginning that he was testing them. And I think that, yeah, he probably could have sent anybody out to test them, but he needs to know how those operate. So I can see why he would do it. I mean, is it smart for him to go out there and put himself you know, in harm's way, probably not. But also like if the head guy doesn't know how the shit works, that could be a problem too. So I could totally see why he did that. Also totally get the Magneto thing with Buster. When you said that, it was like a light bulb. I was like, oh shit, he's like the B5 Magneto. But yeah, you can sympathize with Magneto, not necessarily Buster. Um, But going back to Buster, one thing I noticed too is that as the as the episode went on, and I feel like he was a lot more smarmy and shit talky in the beginning. But as things went on, there was a very visible moment when he was looking at the bracelet where he saw something that freaked him out and upset him. And you could see his face change, his demeanor change, and everything changed. And from that point on, he was like normal person Buster. You know, I feel like that 
was kind of the turning point for him because now he's like, shit, this is the person I love. This is the person who's carrying my child. Like the fact that he, first of all, fell in love is kind of crazy because how can he love anyone? Cause he's a dick. But also I feel like that kind of moment, there was a shift in him. Um, I think you pointing out the fear in his eyes of Sheridan possibly blowing him out of the water was kind of a glimpse. But when he was looking at that bracelet, you can completely see a change. And from that point on, he was different throughout the whole episode, I thought. I really thought it kind of humanized him a little bit more and made you kind of see, oh, maybe he isn't as bad. I mean, I still don't trust him. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I trust him. I still think he's going to turn as soon as his um, baby mama's better or whatever. But there was definitely a shift in him at that point. And it was very visible and kind of really cool to see because you could just see it all over his face. And then when he explained the whole thing, the shock on everyone else's face is like, we thought you were married with a kid. He goes, I am, but I wasn't in love. You know, this is the first person I've ever loved. And the first person I made a promise to that I actually give a damn about. Like, so it kind of really showed us a different side of him. And I thought that was really cool um, because all we've really seen is smarmy, smart ass, you know, shit talking bester. This was kind of like, oh, you actually have feelings. Maybe you might be sort of a person. Okay. Let's see where this goes. Um, so it was really kind of cool to see that transition, which was very visible in my mind. Mike. Yeah, both both that moment uh, of him reading the bracelet and, you know, I was, I'm glad Justin pointed it out because I was going to say it too, is that moment in the Star Fury in the beginning when, you know, Sheridan waits just a little bit longer than Bester thought he was going to. And it actually does give him a moment of pause, like, oh shit, maybe I didn't have all the moves planned out <laughs> properly for this. Um do do you know highlight Walter's acting in this? He's he's so good at doing that that rapid transition from from you know smarmy smarmy shithead into like oh I'm actually human and I do have you know other other feelings and thoughts. Um, and as far as his having moves all planned out, boy is he lucky that it was Sheridan out test flying Star Furies and not like Ivanova, <laughs> who undoubtedly would have just shot first and asked questions later. <laughs> Um, and by the way, like those Star Furies were in an active battle outside of Babylon 5. Nobody needed to test them. Sheridan was absolutely just using his authority to blow off some steam and go for a joyride. Like, it's just, I have a car in my garage, but I still go take a go kart ride whenever I can. So, oh, he's got to get checked out in it so that he can, yeah, he can yeah. fight whatever he wants. That's right. That's right. My only issue with the Star Fury, though, the new one is. And the other ones, you can kind of sometimes see reflections from rep from panels on their visors. This one, they just basically aimed a projector at Boxleitner and fired an LCD projector into his face. So that that part was a little weird for me with the Starfear. And I'm also uh, wondering how the hell he saw anything after that scene. Mm -hmm. Counter <laughs> counterpoint though, counterpoint looks looks rad as hell. I love it. I love it. I think it looks cool as hell. <laughs> it did make it look like a very sophisticated heads up display. Yeah, right. Well, 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 I I wanted to circle back a little bit to Bester coming across as, as a bit more like someone with emotions, not just the smarmy villain man who, um, you know, we, we love to hate. And yet 
what they do in this episode is each time they keep layering on some level of oblivious ignorance to everything he does and everything he he likes so his love to his girl that's frozen with his child i i i do appreciate the detail to he is her jailer and he's dressed up in the black uniform and she is the prisoner she is the one wearing the bracelet with the id on it might as well tattoo her at this point and he has no clue that that form of love is unequal she still doesn't even want to join the psycho that's my favorite part of it too he's like i could change her mind i don't have enough authority but we can be together she doesn't want to join the course she was always stubborn that way but i could change her and it's like you don't get it. You still don't get it, do you? So you're going to join our heroes to fight the bad guy to get a woman who probably doesn't love you. But he's a sociopath in that way where he thinks he has this love because he feels he feels something. So obviously it's good. It's good. And I just appreciate that with the thing with Ivanova too, where he's so arrogant. He thinks, you, you, you're jealous of my telepathic powers. You mundanes don't have them. And he does lie to them too. They, they make this point of, we shouldn't trust him. He'll probably lie to us. And he did. He lied about the telepaths being on the ship in the first place because you guys don't feel anything for telepaths. You don't like the core. But we know that isn't true either. And so I just really, really commend the series on giving you this idea that Bester could be a good person, but then constantly reminding you, no, he isn't. Like, he can't. He Like, his role in this show, you can't make him too sympathetic because it goes against what he does, which is a horrible thing. Constantly. Emily. Um, I really like that Ryan brought up the power imbalance between this woman he claims he loves and like her actual position regarding Psychor because he's trying to bring her basically to the dark side and she's going to resist it. And I still have questions about whether or not she is still pregnant. Like did when she found out, was she um, making her way to a clinic to deal with that situation? Because that's not probably something she wants to keep as a connection to him, given the power imbalance. And we're also not sure with his telepathic abilities how much he might have been able to manipulate her. I mean, it sounded like she had pretty strong abilities, but um, not being trained in him, we're still not sure how much he could have messed with her head and what she was thinking. And yeah, he's he's still terrible. <laughs> Nicole. Can we just point out that his name is Alfred? What is he? Batman's like butler? Like <laughs> when she called him that, I was laughing. I was like, why is that so funny to me? I don't he just looks like Al. an Alfred. She calls him Al. Oh, yeah. That's how yeah, familiar she, they are. Yeah, but she he looks like I'm like, that totally makes sense for a name for him. That makes him even more punchable. But also <laughs> like I don't know why it made me laugh so hard. But that was also interesting too, because Garibaldi's like, whoa, wait a second. What the hell's going on here? And Garibaldi was the one to kind of notice that it was the Psychor thing is why she attacked him. And he took it off and threw it and she attacked it. So that was kind of cool to see. You know, you guys know I'm going to jockey for Garibaldi all the time. So he's my boy. So that was a good Garibaldi moment. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know why the name made me laugh so hard. Like I snort laughed. So now I just want to call him Al. I'm going to think of that song, Call Me Al from the uh, 80s with Paul Simon and Chevy Chase. <laughs> That's what I'm going to think of now when I think of Bester. So just real quick, he was actually, and I think we've talked about this before, but he was actually named after the author, Alfred Bester, who uh, was a sci-fi author who did uh, a lot of writing with telepaths. Justin. 
Yeah, I didn't put that connection together um, about kind of the whole power dynamic between uh, Fester and what Carolyn was her name. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that that kind of blew my mind a little bit because I kind of then it started the cycle of my brain, you know, spinning. So if you smelled something burning or heard a hamster wheel, that's what it was. Is Bester going to have like the the evil Superman complex? Like if something happens to Carolyn or if she tells him to go take a short walk out of the airlock, is he going to start going batshit crazy? And what what is he going to do? What is he capable of then of that point? You know, just like, you know, in some of the DC stuff that we've seen, something happens to Lois Lane and Superman just goes completely evil and tyrannical. Is Bester going to try and do the same kind of crap? You know, so that makes me very worried about what happens with Carolyn and Bester going forward, because if she's not that receptive or her affections for him she finds out were just fake so that she could try to either a escape or b get better accommodations within you know the re-education camp uh it may not go well for everyone else so that was really great to bring that up because even watching that episode that never even popped into my mind that kind of power dynamic between the two brian she's a blip that's all she is hence she's given over to the shadows she's just another nobody in the grand scheme of things. Not to Besta, though. He, she's one of the good ones. But they have the mission that they have to go on, and Besta, Walter Koenig, knows how to deliver that exposition so well, so smarmily. You have the exchange of, how did you know all of this, by the way? Well, I'm a telepath. Figure it out, guys. And they have to get those weapon components because Earth is giving stuff to the shadows to help the shadows do what they need to do. And uh, so let's have an adventure with our enemy and maybe we will have something in common at the end of this. And they go off to hyperspace and you get a lot of cool new power sets for telepaths. Like, oh, they can sense things even more in hyperspace. It makes their stuff go even more. Why don't we know about this? Why? We wouldn't want to tell the normal people because then you put us in the military and we're, we're not a, we're a commodity. We're, there's only so few of us. And that goes into Bester's whole entire thing about, you know, genetic breeding programs and trying to make all of the best of the best and, you know, crank up your abilities like with Jason Ironheart. So he has, an invest, he has a vested interest in this mission of they have telepaths that are, that are valuable. Why should we give them to these weird aliens? And nobody, we haven't talked about this too. Bester has figured out the shadow conspiracy on his own. Mm-hmm. He comes into this episode and says, I've heard things, and I think that's a cool thing to bring into the series as well, that the other kind of antagonistic force that we've had recurring, Bester, even he is figuring out what's going on with the shadows. So what does that bring to the table? And in this case, an unlikely alliance. And his abilities as a super telepath is so scary, even a big shadow vessel just flies away. And I thought that was a great visual. Mm-hmm. Nicole. And, you know, the shadows taking control of those telepaths and having them basically like work their ships or whatever. Like my thought is um, that stuff that was like in her brain, it looks like they like drilled stuff into her head and stuff like that. You know, I know that they agreed to help her, but like, I just wonder, are they going to be able to remove that shit without killing her or how is that going to work? And also once they've infiltrated her brain, even if they remove all that, are the shadows still going to be lingering in there because, you know, the voice controls what they're doing, you know? So it's interesting because, you know, Bester is under the assumption that they can help her, 
but he even Sheridan even said we don't have that kind of technology we don't know um so it's really kind of a rock and a hard place I feel like for you know Franklin or whoever's going to be working on her because you know they're going to have to try to figure this out without killing this person because if they do like you know Justin said it might go south and Bester might go crazy but also like I think when they do potentially figure it out and get that I think they're going to learn a lot more about the shadows and what makes them tick and what they're afraid of and what could potentially destroy them. So I'm anxious to see how that thing goes. And if we're going to see more of that, because I feel like that's going to be an important piece to the story with, you know, the new weapon that they found is the fact that they're afraid of the telepath. So um, it was really interesting to kind of see, and Garibaldi was the one that put that together in the Jaquan book. So that was kind of funny. So, yeah, I, I just it's really going to be I'm very curious to see kind of how that's going to play out, because if that shit's drilled into her head, how is that going to be out and not kill her? You know, so and what's going to happen to her brain after? So I don't know. Hopefully this will be a learning thing about the shadows that they can even get more ammo against them. Justin, just want to talk about a second. I don't know where my tinfoil hat is right at the moment, but. I want to talk for a second and get other people's opinions about the fact that EarthGov is sending its own damn citizens to the shadows to be used as basically pilots in these giant spider murder ships. Now we kind of know what the shadows wanted in return for helping Clark take over. They want our telepaths in order to power their ships and kind of come up with some kind of combative edge against telepaths and... The fact that EarthGov is just willing to give them up so, so easily, kind of without much of a fight. So that kind of says if, if Psychor, because I know we've had this discussion in, pre- in previous podcasts or previous episodes, if Psychor is not pulling the strings behind Clark, who is now? Is it Morden in the Shadows or is it someone else? So I'm kind of curious to hear what people think about this because it's definitely um, another add another layer of darkness to this whole uh, Clark regime story. Even if Clark's not pulling the strings like Bester says, there's a lot of people within EarthGov are doing some really, really shitty things to their own people. Now, take out the whole ISN thing because we actually found out that was actually saboteurs. That wasn't the government who did that. That was actually saboteurs. So at least now we can put, put that to bed and be okay and happy with that. But now, shadows, man, shadow pilots, creepy murder spider ships. So we're going to keep that line in mind that uh, whenever we say something offensive or otherwise fuck up on this podcast, it wasn't us. It was saboteurs doing it. That's all it was. It wasn't <laughs> it was. us being offensive or fucking up. Thankfully, the government came in and saved us. Right. Well, Justin's just put a lot on the table there to really chew on. And uh, I think just with what you have seen, I would retort, does Clark think anyone's controlling him? Does he not believe he's controlling them? We saw him try to steal a shadow ship on their own earlier in this season. And we see best to communicate this point in the episode of um, people don't like telepaths and are afraid of them. So if you're the government and you're teaming up with telepaths, maybe you want to back up in case. So maybe hand some of them over to your other to your other powerful ally. Play both of them against each other because Clark still is Mr. Earth first. And the telepaths are, as we've seen before, all of this alien bigotry. They're the other 
minority or weird group that people don't like. Like Eriboldi has openly said he doesn't like telepaths in this series. So I just look at it in that kind of way of it's 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 a game of politics. Everyone's playing multiple sides. Our friend of a you know an enemy of an enemy is our friend type deal. And Best is willing to team up with us for now, but. Who's his real allegiances to? Himself, probably. And I think the same for, for Clark, a character who, by the way, I love that Clark is this guy that we can talk about so much, and yet he's never in the show, really. We haven't really seen him. And yet he looms over everything. And that's just great writing in itself of this man who's all the way over there, all the way in the distance that we rarely see. We don't even know his personality, really, out of what outside of the media that we get in B5 telling us stuff and we pick up the clues and the little tidbits and we are like the the patrons at the Zocalo. We look through the bullshit that the, that the news is trying to tell us because everyone in the Zocalo or that area was watching the new ISN and no one was impressed, humans or aliens. Emily? Yeah, I also found it interesting that Clark was seemingly willing to allow the shadows to take a shuttle, like a craft full of... Uh, telepaths and stasis but I also kind of assumed that they were all rogue telepaths and that might be why because they're all refusing to join Psychor so this is like their punishment for not doing it but throughout all this well I mean technically Clark's supposed to be the leader I've never gotten the impression that he's competent or intelligent and he's basically just using whatever means come across you know come his way to gain power or status or like they think they're going to be able to outsmart these shadows when really they're just a pawn for the shadows to get what they want because they don't seem to fully grasp the difference in technology and power and i mean i think justin posed a fair question about why would he do it but i just kind of figured they were all rogue telepaths who weren't going to join the side core so it was an easy way to deal with them nicole to piggyback off what you said is yeah clark is just a mouthpiece at this point um that's all he is uh he just happens to be in power so um but my thought is kind of what justin was saying and when i was watching that scene i kept thinking back to that episode where you saw morden the Psycor guy and that lady in the room in the office on Earth Central um, after they did their report about the shadow ships or whatever. And they were like, oh, well, maybe we could use this to our advantage and this and that. So my thought was, um, you know, why would they send the telepaths? Emily brings up a good point, maybe because they were rogue and it was a punishment or they thought they were throwaway people so they could just send them over there. But also, if you think about it, Morden, the Psycor guy and that lady, I forgot if there was another person in the room and I can't remember at the time. Was it Rifa? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That one scene? No. Uh, I Who think was it was a senator when they okay, showed yeah. Morden in the office. Yeah, yeah Morden. It was the, just the a, a senator. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. senator, Morden, the psychop, and then that chick or whatever. So my thought is, I just kept thinking about that scene over and over again while I was watching this and when Justin was asking that question. So I'm thinking like, they're all kind of, yeah, I think the shadows might be pulling the strings, but I think they're all in cahoots because obviously someone on the side core had to sign off on sending those people. So we know that Morden represents the shadows, the senator represents Clark and the Earth Alliance, and the side core guy that was there represents the side core. So they probably devised this plan to kind of send those people off and use them because they think, like Emily said, that they don't understand the power and, and what the shadows can do. It's a very, very common thing for people, um, humans, to kind of think, 
that they're stronger than they are and that nothing that, that they're invincible, you know, it's like a, you know, a, a pissing contest almost, you know? So I feel like this was kind of in the works back then because those three evil bastards were all kind of working together, you know? Um, so I think that, I, I don't know, I just, and maybe I'm wrong. I can't wait to find out in two years when I listen back to the Beyond the Rim, but I really think that that scene and this thing that happened on this episode were connected. And it was just kind of like, that was setting the stage to show you how corrupt they are and how basically they'll use their people. They'll use whatever they can. They'll do their propaganda. They'll do what they need to do to kind of like get their agenda met. So that's kind of what I thought when Justin asked that question. Justin, one last comment that I have uh, kind of based upon the whole reason why I kind of posted this question in the first place is I, I kind of am starting to think because of this episode, Bester may not be as all powerful as maybe some people think he is. You know, he's a high level telepath. Sure. He's a P12. You know, that's that's pretty powerful. But he's on Mars. Like he's he's on Mars, maybe even Martian by birth. I'm not 100 percent sure. But he's on Mars, which is technically, if you want to consider it, you know, a rebel state in the eyes of maybe some of the other people within EarthGov, I'm not 100% sure how much clout within Psycor Bester actually has. So therefore, I'm sure there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that Bester is unaware of, whereas transferring of, you know, blips over to the shadows to help them improve their fleet and improve their ships. But also, we haven't heard from Bureau 13 in a long time. You know, what have they been up to? You know, what if they are they the people that are kind of actually in control of Psycor and the people who are truly working with the shadows and just using, you know, Clark as kind of the mouthpiece in that. What is it? Agent. I think they only ever referred to her as Agent 13. We've only kind of seen her once or twice, maybe. But, yeah, we haven't heard from those people in a while. And those were the people that Sheridan was really concerned about and really scared about when he first took over on the station. So that's uh, that's something not kind of forget or fall asleep on. All right, and for our last word on telepaths, I think Ryan's going to close this one out, yeah. and then we're going to switch back over to Kevin with Delin and Jakar. I got a zipper. I got this all zipped up. So with this episode, it seems like a typical Bester episode. He comes in, but I really appreciate that it's it's bringing all of these little things together that we've had throughout the entire series. So organic technology, remember an infection when we had the organic technology man walking around and then, oh, the shadows and the Volons, they have organic ships that require people. And you brought up Bureau 13. I had a bit of a giggle because I was looking in my notes. It's like, oh, what was that group that used machinery in people's brains to make them do things? Remember Bureau 13? And that's what Carolyn has, like an ultra refined version of that where Frank Franklin is even looking at it saying, this is this is beyond my wiles. I have no clue. We have weird aliens that aren't the shadows, just like the ones drilling into Carolyn and the pilot is like, who, who, what, what are these? And it kind of makes you think back to some of the previous episodes where it's like, hey, this we found this random cryo ship oh, in the long dark and it had a random alien going to the shadows who, you know, fun times support the ship but the gathering the very first thing jakar is mr we don't have telepaths we used to but we don't have them anymore i'd like to breed with you lita can we get telepaths and this episode comes right back to that of 
all of this stuff has been connected back ever since the gathering. It's like there's this one race that we have that doesn't have telepaths, and we just accept it after a certain point. You just go, okay, fine, okay, sure, and we 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 come back to it in this episode. I thought that was just such a brilliant moment. I remember, you know, as someone even now watching it, I kind of get chills down my spine of wow, you you played the long game. This has been here. This is one of the first things we knew about Jakar was the Narns don't have telepaths. And now we learn why they don't have telepaths and why it's important that they don't have telepaths. It's a very brave choice, Ryan, bringing up breeding on this podcast, given some of the rabbit holes that we have gone down over the course of this show. So that was a brave choice, my friend. Kevin. <laughs> yeah, this this episode does give you a great glimpse into jms's uh intricate writing and showing the the depth of of his story arc <clears throat> and speaking of a story arc you really start seeing an amazing story arc with jakar in this episode um and the amazing scene with him and um and delenn you know mira and andreas they they didn't work on that scene prior to filming it and that that one scene took four hours to film and Andreas was pretty sure that morning he was going to get very emotional during the scene, but didn't really warn uh, Mira because he, he wasn't sure. Um, but she she got more emotional because he did. So, you know, those tears that you see from her in that up in that scene are real because those two actors were really, you know, tapping into the emotion of their characters in that scene um but it's interesting to me because michael vehard didn't really like how um having andreas show the emotion that he did so he ended up picking one of the cuts from those four hours of filming uh that had less emotion from andreas um for whatever reason that was his you know his vision for that scene so a lot of those other takes they ended up on the cutting room floor unfortunately i sure would like to see a couple of them but uh that that scene is so powerful because those two actors just played off each other so well there's a great quote from from mira about their emotion was like a ball that they passed between each other and she said she only felt that a couple of times in her entire career all the shows and movies that she did that was one of the very few times in her career that the two actors clicked that well in a scene to where they they really passed the ball of emotion back and forth to to each other for the whole scene you know i i will say kevin i think it actually the more subdued calmer jakar works in the scene because i think it shows that evolution of the character over yeah what we would have seen even half a season ago yeah i agree i'm just saying i i it was it was interesting to me how it all came together because mm -hmm. you know they they did it different ways and andreas um i think he may have felt differently uh from what i could tell he didn't come out and say it but um he he played it different ways and this is what ended up you know getting into the show i just think the whole process is interesting justin yeah i mean that's actually was i guess really cool story to hear about kind of how genuine um their emotions were during the filming of this scene because you can definitely tell it's it comes across with a kind of a heavy punch and i um i don't know if jakar is uh, maybe he's maybe to a point he's subdued 
but I don't know how calm he is because you can hear the wrath in his voice when he even tells her, if you would have told me this as my planet was being bombarded, basically saying, if you would have told me this during the war, I would have killed you on the spot without a second hesitation. And you can just hear the anger and wrath in his voice. And then the rest of it's just heartbreak, heartbreak and acceptance. Like you can even hear him being emotional when he's speaking to her in just a very hushed tone and just very, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess heartbreak is the only way I can really say it. But knowing the acceptance part being knowing it was the only right call at the time. And then kind of what hit me more than anything else in that entire scene was the final exchange you know, where she's saying, maybe someday you can forgive me. And he even acknowledges, well, maybe someday, but that day's not today, you know, whereas mm-hmm. it's going to need time and stuff like that. So, you know, if we both come out of this war you know, relatively unscathed, then we can have that discussion. But he's not ready to forgive anyone just yet because he sees how in his mind, not just the Len, but everyone kind of stabbed his people in the back, whether for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. But he he kind of feels betrayed about he's he, he's felt betrayed by ev- almost everybody at one point or another. Um, during during this series. So it's it's just a matter of it's going to take him a long time to trust anyone if he ever really is a trusting person again. Mike? Yeah, I think what you're seeing in this scene is restraint. It's it's not that he isn't feeling those emotions. It's that he's holding them in check, which is something that Jakar is famously bad at doing throughout the entire previous two and a half seasons. Um, we've seen Jakar variously go from grabbing random security people and throwing them into the ceiling to attempted murder. Uh, and they, and they do a really good job of, of teeing up the scene between him and Delenn because they know that that is the Jakar you've seen for two and a half seasons. So, you know, what already, what the viewer is anticipating, what they're expecting. And then they have that buildup scene between Delenn and Sheridan, where again, they're teeing it up. They're prepping you for what you think is going to be, uh, a big emotional blowout. And I think, you know, to Vehar's credit, I think he did the right thing by choosing the more subdued cut, because if they didn't do that, it wouldn't show the same amount of growth in Jakar's character. Um, you know, and what a twist in that whole exchange when, you know, Delenn finishes speaking her piece. And then ultimately when she's waiting for Jakar to cry, scream, pull a knife, he goes, I already knew. Like I figured it out. I heard things. I'm I'm here to uh to, to hear to hear your side of it, you know? And and uh it's really impactful in that way because then I think it means more to him because he already knows it, but here's somebody who has come to him and is c- confessing, I guess for lack of a better word, the dirty truth and telling the truth of what he already knew to him. They they have the guts to do that. And it I think it probably builds a lot of respect. Uh, between Jakar and Delenn both ways around, ultimately. Nicole? Yeah, I think that um, the buildup of that whole scene was pretty good, Um, you know, because, yeah, we were all expecting him to, like, lose his shit and go off, but the part that really got me um, is, you know, kind of like what Mike said, how he said he kind of figured it out, and then um, when he was talking about his revelation he had when he was in jail about, um, God, what was that line? I wrote it down, about the future and all that. Um, the revelation that he had, uh, he now understands what it means. And he even said, you know, for um, 
some must be sacrificed for all to be saved. So I feel like the anger and the emotion was there, but yeah, you hit the nail on the head when he said the restraint, because he obviously his first reaction would probably be to freak out and maybe kill her or whatever. But like, also I think that revelation he had when he was in jail, kind of, you could see that the, the gears were turning in his head and he's kind of figuring things out once he's getting this knowledge and this information, because yeah, like she said, if we would have said, your whole planet would have been wiped out and everybody would be gone, you know? So I think that it was kind of like he understood why she did it and he did see why it was necessary, but also how could you not be upset or emotional and feel betrayed too? So I think it was a really good representation of taking in the information, understanding why it was done, but also reacting to it, but also keeping that restraint. Like it was just so flawless and and unexpected. Um, and then what really got me was the part about, um, you know, uh, when he said that that knowledge was his greatest burden, that's kind of where I started tearing up. And then when she said, I hope one day you can forgive me. And he said, like Justin said, not today. And I was just like, oh, it was like a knife in the heart, like right at the end of that scene. You know, I was just like, oh, my God, what a like I rewound it and watched it again because it was just so good. And like just the dialogue between them, the body language, everything. It was just so, so impactful and powerful. And it was such a cool scene. And it was really awesome to see, like you guys had mentioned that growth in Jakar, because, you know, from the very beginning, I didn't like him at first. And he's kind of grown on me as the season has gone on and this show has gone on. And I really like him now and I empathize with him. And, you know, it's just so cool to see that juxtaposition from where he was in the beginning to where he is now. And I really can't wait to kind of see how he continues to grow. Well, it's interesting, Nicole, you mentioned that quote, and it's one of the ones I have marked from the episode as well. Um, and the whole quote from Jakarta Delin is, some must be sacrificed to follow her to be saved. Now I understand that is as much as about how we got here as where we're going. I think that one sentence is the greatest burden I have ever known. And, you know, just that delivery and that line, I love that bit in that scene. Ryan. And our good friend Kosh told him that line because he's our good friend. I adore all of this so much. And we have said on our podcast that if you want to track the quality of the writing and the performances, as well as the arc of Babylon 5, watch any scene between Jokar and Delen during the series. It grows over time. In The Gathering, very hostile. Um even if it was warranted, but Delenn would choke him with rings, with power rings, because he was beneath her. He was just a conniving villain, and he should be dealt with. And both of them have grown. It's not just about Jakar, but Delenn has grown and changed a lot as well. And in the first season, I, I remember you know Emily being a real big fan of just the Delenn character and about how she was this person who, on the surface, comes across as the really nice ambassador, the one that you you could interact with the best. But she was always holding secrets and harboring secrets and has all of these agendas. But as we go along during the series, she wants to be this beacon. She wants to be this bridge. And a part of that is you have to let those go. You have to decide when to tell those. And this is an example of that where this is a huge deal. We watched for the whole season in season two where she was being very virtuous. She was kicked out of the Grey Council. We've seen her at a lower in a in her lowest state. And yet she was still withholding all of this stuff from Jakar, who was being trying to be an active hero. He was saying, There are these ancient aliens out there who are going to hurt us. Maybe we should do something about it. 
and he was being screwed over by Londo, who was telling the bad guys about it, and he was being screwed over by the seemingly virtuous Delenn, who was saying nothing about it. And I just think that really is a great reminder of who these characters were and where they've come to now, because it's great to look at Andreas and see what he's doing, but it's about Delenn also in that scene with John taking responsibility. No, John, this is my thing. I decided not to say anything. I decided to stand by. I decided to let Jakar demean himself um, to try and save his people, and we did nothing about it. We did the bare minimum, and we said nothing because it's about the bigger picture at play. It's about the bigger thing. It's about what Jakar learns from Kosh. It's about, you know, some must be sacrificed if all are to be saved. And Jakar throughout this season has been Mr. I'm going to push my people and help you guys. If my people have to be sacrificed, it's worth it. And then he learns here, oh, we were already sacrificed for your war. But instead of being bitter about it, he finds it's something to motivate him even further. Kevin? That isn't the last scene they have in the episode. And you see, you know, Jakar going into, you know, on the elevator with, with Delenn. And going into the war room for the first time, she's she's talking about, oh, this is an auspicious day. And then for the first time, you see the war room and you see from Jakar's perspective, because they filmed that with a steady cam from his perspective. And it, it made that a little bit more impactful. But, you know, Michael Vehar really wanted the audience to feel what Jakar was feeling in that moment. And to a certain extent, He's been underestimated. He's been underestimated for, you know, how his reactions would be. And he's been underestimated because he knows more about uh, at at certain times in the in the series thus far, knows more about the shadows and more about possibly what's coming than others and hasn't been completely listened to. And he's been key to the. Uh, ability to continue to run the station with uh, basically, you know, helping to run security. So he's been incredibly important, but his arc is just fantastic up until this point. I think it's interesting. You mentioned that new uh, command center war room that they have. Uh, Just a production note. So they decided, JMS mentioned that with the production and things getting more into a war, they didn't really have a use for a casino anymore. So they sort of took out the casino set and built a war room instead. So for those wishing for the return of gambling, yeah, we got a war room instead. Nicole? Something Ryan said made me think about this, too, is about um, watch any scene with Delenn and, and Jakar where she, you know, choked him with the rings in the beginning and he was beneath her and this and that. I'd like to think that as the series has gone on, Jakar and Delenn are actually, I would say maybe, I mean, he's pissed at her, but kind of friends now, you know? And obviously you've seen his friendship with Garibaldi grow. Um, you've seen his, you know, alliance form with Sheridan, with helping with security. Like, I feel like the main characters besides Londo are all like, kind of like friends now at this point. Like, obviously, obviously I've, Ivanova and Sheridan and Franklin and Garibaldi were buddies. But like, you know, I feel like with Jakar being in the inner circle now, like, I just think that the level of relationship between Jakar and all the other main characters has also grown. I think that, you know, before, yeah, he was that villain. He was the one who was hostile. But now, I mean, even Garibaldi, like, really cared about him and checked on him and visited him in jail and and was, like, concerned. And, like, when the Centauri destroyed Narn and killed all those people, it seemed that was kind of, like, the catapult that kind of put everyone onto 
Jakar's side. And then just these personal interactions with people as the series has gone on, um, you know, and maybe this is me being naive and the optimist and happy. I love everybody, but it's been really cool to kind of see those personal relationships grow throughout the series as well, especially Jakar, because in the beginning, I feel like he was the outcast, you know, and now it's totally different. Londo's the outcast and Jakar's the, the guy, you know? So um, that's just when Ryan said that, it kind of made me think of that. Awesome. Yeah, Nicole, you hit that reversal right on the head. And that was something that I was going to bring up too, because yeah, you see where even like, look, even just take it from Garibaldi's perspective. Londo was actually somebody that Garibaldi was very close to early on in the series. And then you saw that shift away to where now he's really close to Jakar. And that's where both of those characters have just flipped just now what the two and a half seasons that we've been watching so far. So that was always something that I've always enjoyed kind of paying attention to is how the shifting loyalties, as you will, just change over time as characters develop and everything like that. And that just kind of proves a credit to the, to the longevity of the writing uh, for, throughout the entire show. But speaking about Garibaldi, you know, credit on him for kind of becoming the uh, book of the book of Jaquan uh, scholar here and still keeping up on his studies, still trying to learn how to read, you know, Narn and everything like that to where he's able, he had to get his little translator out and I kind of respect him for that. But he was able to kind of pinpoint those pieces as to what happened to the Narn, um, to all to all the Narn telepaths back in the day. It was able to even school somebody like Delenn, who probably should have known that information. But then he was able to actually bring something brand new to the table and help them realize, you know what, the telepaths may actually end up being the key to winning this war. So it's going to be interesting to kind of uh, see where it all goes from there. But did he really read it that far? Because he clearly missed the chapter about do not thump the book of Jaquan. You actually saw Jakar kind of get visibly agitated. So, I mean, I guess you can kind of say like if somebody had a Holy Bible or if somebody had a Quran or a Torah or whatever, and somebody's just kind of pointing down and beating on it, you'd be like, eh, cool it, dude. So there, no, I there are it. so many comments I could make back to that about thumping and holy books. I'm just going to let it go. Nicole, yeah. let's, go. <laughs> let's, walk, let's walk away from that. <laughs> let's just walk away. <laughs> well, I thought it was pretty pretty cool that Garibaldi was kind of the one that figured that out because, you know, a lot of people kind of underestimate his knowledge too. And his, his smarts, you know, he's a, he's a security guy. He's a kind of a tough guy, a fighter, but like, he's actually a lot smarter than I think people think or give him credit for. Um, but yeah, that whole scene, it was like, it was so like awesome. Like that, that piece of information, like knowing that they're afraid of the telepaths, that was a smoking gun for them like that was such a big revelation and that's going to be such a useful piece as they prepare on how to fight these shadows so i thought that was such a huge revelation and like something that's going to kind of catapult this this war and the show forward because now that they know that because before it was almost like all hope was lost they have no idea how to fight these things they have no idea how to you know hurt them and now they have an edge and now they have some knowledge that could fuck them up. So I'm super excited to kind of see how they use that to their advantage. And Ryan. I totally 
agree about Garibaldi. He's this he's this affable guy. He loves Duck Dodgers. It's his second favorite thing in the universe. He's funny, but he's good at his job. He 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 knows how to look for these clues, but a part of it too is to connect to people as well. That's just who he is. And we saw at the beginning he was connecting with Londo and trying to see the best in the down and out people because he himself has been down and out and needed people to see the best in him. And so obviously it shifts to Jakar. And I think it's really uh, on on point as well with B5 that the villain of the show at the beginning was Jakar, very villainous, but everything he was demanding and asking for was stuff that eventually did happen, like that he was afraid of. Like he didn't want to be colonized by the Centauri. He didn't want these evil aliens to come in and start destroying everyone and making them fight against each other. But since everyone's so invested in their own interests, nobody listens, or they've all got their own cards to play. Londo has to ride the, you know, the roller coaster of power, but Garibaldi, he he doesn't really care about that stuff. So he's going to look at Jakar's holy book and he doesn't see the point of it at the beginning, but then he says, well, I'm just going to keep looking at it. And when he goes into that war room when he's already there and he's got his feet up and he's being all cocky about it, I just love Jerry Doyle's performance in that. He just, he makes you on the edge of your seat, leaning forward, excited to like for him to explain it all, which again is a credit to how far this show came. Like, remember how boring or slow or plotting those kind of scenes used to be it's like Dr. Franklin will tell us how the monster and infection will work. And it's just rattling through lore. But now it's really rhythmic and exciting. The actors get to embody it. And so when you find out this revelation, it all makes sense. You cheer and go, yes, this has been here the whole time. Just so that it can be undercut with the Vonova saying, well, we better use it soon. Because the bad guys that have been hiding since season one, they're out in the open now. They're just attacking, and we have to we have to catch up. Very, very exciting stuff. All right, let's hit Justin, and then we will go to our questions and predictions. So during that last part of the scene where Garibaldi was kind of uh, talking about everything that he discovered in the Book of Jaquan, and they were kind of, you know, relishing, hey, you know what, we finally got a leg up on these guys. It kind of reminded me of a line from another a very deep philosophical show called Friends, where um, it's, you know, do they know that we know that they know and stuff like that. So it's whole question is, but then we get our answer almost right after that. Oh, they know because we just draw them out in an act of desperation. Now, maybe this will work in, you know, I guess I'll say our favor because I guess we're all emotionally invested in the outcome of this war now. It's a question of, is this an act of desperation by the shadows or is this... uh, you know, something that was planned all along, but I'm sure that is something that will definitely be answered beyond the rim. We need more friends quotes. <laughs> I control the mute buttons. <laughs> Just saying, I control the mute buttons. I couldn't resist. So Justin, since you started us off there, how about you jump into your questions and predictions for us? Yeah, where the hell's Kosh? I'm He's sorry, I've been saying this a lot lately. We've seen him for like two seconds in like the last five or six episodes, and I'm getting kind of pissed. You know, the guy who supposedly has all the answers and is teaching everybody of how to fight and defeat the shadows is nowhere to be seen. Is he out recruiting other first ones? Because I thought that was Ivanova's job. We haven't seen Ivanova do anything like that since she went and found Aku Aku from Crash Bandicoot way back when. So, you know... 
it's you know so what's what's going on with that that was that was my first question because honestly jms i'm disappointed i need more caution in my life don't come at me go after scott because scott enjoys that so we're about halfway through this episode right where did the long coats come from all of a sudden we see like sheridan Nevada wearing like these long you know, trench coat mafia type style additions to their uniforms that we've never seen before. And we didn't see until like halfway through the episode. And all of a sudden they're walking around like, you know, hey, what's going on, guys? It was just one thing that kind of really stuck out to me and I couldn't take my eyes off of once I noticed it. All right. So that's that's what I wanted to talk about. But Blake and I just were talking about saving it for the next episode because we're going a little bit long. But the cat's out of the bag, so I'm asking the question. So I really like the new the new uniforms, but I really don't like those shawl, those like dress uniform shawls. They make them look like ministers. Is that just, what that is? Okay. It, it, I like it. I think it's cool. And you saying the whole ministers thing there, I think... That's part of it. I think mm-hmm. it's a part of being reborn, as they yeah. said in the ceremonies the of Light army, and Dark. The army mm-hmm. of light type thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yes. I get it. I just don't, right. I don't like the look. I think I they well, for one thing, they're not particularly uniform as to when they use those all the time. When and for cold. the other, I don't like their look. It 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 really it's not dressy enough to me to be a dress uniform and it it, it makes it look yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. Well, I, it, I agree well, with it's no different well it's no different it's just like they put like a vest on that just happens to go down past their knees right like it doesn't it, it doesn't say dressy to me and it's like they okay, saw what marcus just, was wearing and was jealous and they wanted long flowy things maybe. on theirs and maybe. he wasn't and here this episode so come that on let him wear stuff um, seen so, the episode where they were wearing the dress uniform there which were quite literally oh all god yeah those were terrible <laughs> but a couple of my other questions got answered earlier or i actually i asked earlier about where's bureau 13 been and what have they been up to during this time and then um do i have any more questions um i want to know more about the black omega squadron that's kind of a cool thing right so they've kind of got their own version of star furies and i'm kind of wanting to know what they're about because is uh is bet so we saw bester leave at the end of the episode in his black omega star fury is he gonna go recruit like where's he what's he gonna do do from here is he going to recruit more you know recruit more telepaths to the cause is he going to get the black omega squadron are they going to end up joining babylon 5 you know that's that um and then what's the patch on the right shoulder there's the, the five shield on the left there's a weird patch on the right shoulder that i can't figure out what that's supposed to be but we can leave that for another day no oh, i can answer um, that that's the rangers is that the ranger patch yeah. okay it's a patch version um, of the rangers because marcus showed his bad because that medallion and then okay, because I couldn't figure, but I couldn't tell that from a distance. I guess yeah. I've talked about my other prediction about you know or question slash prediction about is Bester going to go recruit more Psychor? And then but my last prediction about Bester isn't really as powerful in the Psychor as we think he is. So um, that's it for me. Thank you for coming to my TED talk, Emily. All right. Um, I actually have a few questions that are relevant to the storyline. Maybe I hope. Um. As opposed to mine, is that what you're saying? (laughs) No, as opposed to my questions for the last episode, that was totally irrelevant to the overall story arc. So was Bester really not scanning them while he was on the station? 
because I find that hard to believe that he wasn't trying to do a periodic surface level scan because he obviously seems to be the type to do scans without permission, given the information he shared with them. I'm assuming the captured telepaths were already anti psychor if we're assuming most of them were rogue telepaths who are avoiding Psychor, or were some of them actual Psychor members who had maybe become disgruntled by Psychor, since they seemed to have a lot of anti-Psychor sentiment. I wasn't sure if that happened before capture or if it was part of what happened during their capturing. Is his lover, as he calls her, still pregnant or not? And does Be- Bester actually love her? I have a hard time believing that he does. And so, well, let's see, what was that? That doesn't even make sense. Um, what is the Shadow's plan for actually using the telepaths? Is it just because they need bodies to pry the ships? Or are they hoping to tel- tap into that telepathic power so they can sense where the other ships are, like Bustard in hyperspace, or gain access to the Earth Alliance plans? And that's all. And Nicole. Okay, so my first question, and I don't know if anyone else noticed this or I'm just crazy, but when they showed the first person that was frozen in the tube, I swear to God that was Morden. It looked like, to me, I thought it was Morden. I'm like, is that Morden in that tube? Like, is he actually frozen and they're controlling his body somewhere else? Like, that was my initial thought. It looks so much like him. Obviously, it probably isn't if he's out and walking, but like, it kind of gave me a Secret Invasion vibe where maybe they you know, have him kind of somewhere and he's frozen, but they're like impersonating him. I don't know. But that was my first thought when I saw that. I'm like, that looks like Morden. So it's probably not, but it just, to me, I thought initial glance, I'm like, that's fucking Morden. So that was my first question. Um, will Bester hold up on his part of the bargain and actually help Babylon 5? Um, will they, um, will the shadows actually come for Babylon 5 now that they're op- openly attacking people? Like, do they know that B5 is kind of where everybody's at that's kind of grouping and are they going to come for them? So I guess that's a two-part question. And then will they actually be able to help Bester's lover, Carolyn? Will they be able to save her? Will they be able to, you know, get her back to normal? Um, is that going to actually happen? Prediction-wise, man, I have no fucking clue what's coming next, so I don't have any. <laughs> All right, so I think that concludes our discussion on this week's episode of Babylon 5. For those of you who aren't familiar with our show, at this point, we are going to kick our newbies out of the show. And the rest of us who have seen this far too many times are going to go beyond the rim and answer all of these questions and predictions. Ryan, I want to thank you for joining us for this discussion this evening. A real pleasure. A real pleasure to be joining you yet again. And next time we don't have Scott available, we will reach out again and we can just make you the uh, stand-in for Scott. Okay, I'll start laughing at my own jokes, though. Wow. Nice. Nice. Got him. I got him. And he can't he can't retort unless he's gonna edit something in, and that means more work for you, Scott. Enjoy. <laughs> he has Scott down good. Mm-hmm. Hi Ryan. I love you. Go fuck yourself. Have a nice day. Justin, I believe on behalf of all of us, Scott, leave that in. Amen. Alright, I have been Blake, and with me has been Justin. Emily. Kevin. Nicole. Mike. Ryan. Alright, all you newbies, get the hell out. All right, bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. 
We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back, everybody, to Beyond the Rim. Once again, for those of you that are not familiar, this is the part where we start answering all of our newbies' questions and predictions, and obviously there are going to be spoilers. So if you have not watched past Ship of Tears and don't want spoilers for what's coming, go ahead and drop off now and come back and listen to this after you have watched all of Babylon 5 and come back and hear all of our answers to the questions and predictions. So let's go ahead and jump in here, and we've got two of Justin's favorite questions to lead us off with. Where the hell is Kosh? Uh, getting getting ready to uh, leave us very soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, think it's, I think it's next episode, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah you know, it, it's been it, it's been an interesting third season with Kosh because you, we haven't seen him all that much, and what what you have seen was kind of a almost kind of a joke in uh the um the avalon episode so yeah we're gonna see a lot more kosh next week and that's about it mm-hmm. and i gotta say as as i've not rewatched the show nearly as much as you guys have i am actually a little bit bewildered that we've reached this point and seen kosh so little i yeah. i i remembered him being a bigger part of the show and there being more in the way of him training sheridan and like just none of that has Happened. Well, that's gonna yeah. that's gonna be a concern. That's gonna be an issue next episode that Sheridan brings up, which is good. He's like, "You've done nothing. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> where have you been?" Speaking of where the hell have things been? <laughs> where's Bureau Thirteen, and what are they up to? <laughs> I don't know. Well, <laughs> San Diego wastelands, baby. Yeah. So chilling out. Bureau Thirteen thing. We've talked about this quite a while back. That. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it was an abandoned storyline because there is a tabletop game of the same name. So there was some infringement issues there. And so they just abandoned the whole idea and never really went back to it. So right. will they be able to remove the shadow garbage from Carolyn and the other telepaths' minds? And will the removal kill them? Uh, No. The answer yeah. is you cannot remove it. And the removal is very difficult. <laughs> But they Doesn't do end up using them as biological weapons because that's not a war crime. Yeah. Sheridan loves his toys. He loves <laughs> his toys, okay? He's a boys will be boys. We love nukes and using human innocent humans as weapons. Will the telepaths be able to give uh give them intel on the shadows? Yes. Not really. I mean, we don't see that a lot through at least not, I think, the direction they're thinking. I think they're still thinking Psychor is gonna be a bigger part of this with the Bester arc. And I don't mm. think we're going to get a lot of that. We're going to see more as Lita becomes more integral with this. And then uh, when they start involving them in Bari telepaths more. Yeah. Um, will we find out more about the Black Omega Squadron and will they join Babylon 5? I don't think we learn tons more about 
the Oh, I beg to differ. Don't okay, you remember please. where Byron came from? Oh. That's where Byron was from. Oh dear God. And that's why Byron and Bester have such an important relationship because he was his protege. He was uh, his right-hand man on the Black Omega Squadron, and they killed civilians. Oh, we get plenty more, as well as Bester uses them to help the blockade on Babylon 5 in Epiphanies because uh, Clark is going to like do some ruse attack with like making it look like B5 shot down some Earth ships, but it's actually the Black Omega Squadron, and Bester sacrifices them because of his love for Carolyn. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mostly try to forget about season five well, I was say uh, excuse me remember byron remember byron. <laughs> <laughs> well how can we forget me. byron easily if i'm wrong but didn't we see one of their star furies before or didn't we see star furies that were yeah. uh mm-hmm. that were adorned with the omega like that jason before? einhardt they were chasing yeah. jason einhardt but i thought both of the, yeah both of them came in with those mm-hmm. both of those psychops had them okay standard issue you get a star fury with a cool symbol on it custom paint job vinyl wrap <laughs> Will Bester go recruit more Psychor for the Shadow War? No. Not really. It's more for the Earth War, Earth Civil mm-hmm. War. Like the whole thing about Edgar's with the virus that was helped created by the Shadows later. So more about Earth stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you read the next one? J- JMS even, even says, you know, he he brought in the whole telepath thing only only for the shadow war that doesn't mean that's the only place they get utilized but this episode really shows you the the depth to his writing because of how integral the the telepaths are to the shadow war but you know they continue on with that even after the shadow war is over mm-hmm. telepath uh, war come on will bester hold up his side of the bargain I mean, kind of yeah he, he does help him out yeah i would say so he yeah. is, yeah, I would say so, because it's like in the framework of what we think of this episode, it's like, will he hold up his end of the bargain when it comes to the shadows and because of Carolyn? But then it evolves into, well, you know, uh, Clark and, and all these other figures because of Carolyn's stuff, because it's it's a bigger web than just the shadows once they leave. Will the shadows come after Babylon 5 now that they're out in the open? In Luke Tipez, we don't really see a direct shadow assault on B5 other than the flashback sequences we've had of alternate times. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you've watched Babylon 5, The Road Home, uh, right. you can see that. Yeah. But as far as like this point forward, no, other than you know, they, they take out Kosh. But... Zaha Doom, they were going to, but then uh, he, he nuked them real good on Zaha Doom, and so they wibbly wobbly it away with Garibaldi. That's the that's the closest, really. Yeah. So they go over it and they're going to, but then then they don't. It's always something gets in the way of it happening, whether it's different timelines or they send Anna in, instead. Was Bester really not scanning anyone on the station? I think you that's kind of left up to interpretation, but I don't think that he was. I think he was so interested in, you know, being able to get his aim for this episode, which was Carolyn and the rest of the telepaths, you know, being safe, that I don't think he was willing to jeopardize that. So the way you said that, Kevin, are you questioning whether Bester knew Carolyn was on the ship? Um, no, no, I don't think so. But okay. he knew there were telepaths on the ship. He said that. Yes. And he, he cares about telepaths more than anything else. So he, as soon as he it certainly is found, as soon as he found out that Carolyn was on the ship, even more so. But I think, you know, we've we've talked about characters motivations before. The biggest thing with 
you know, Londo's motivation is, you know, this and you know, is uh, the Centauri and the biggest thing about mm. you know, motivation for for Bester in this thing is the the safety of telepaths. Yeah, he usually doesn't care to scan the B5 crew, really. He's not actually invested in their secrets as often. The most we get is in season four when he's screwing around with Garibaldi. Mm-hmm. And he's already got him doing stuff. So most of it, like throughout the series thus far, he's actually been pretty honest with the B5 crew, still lying at times. But when he says like, I honestly, I'm not scanning you. I don't care. Get over it. He's he's actually telling the truth a lot, which is kind of funny because he's so malevolent and evil yeah. that you would assume otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think the implication of the question is, did he scan something and scan someone and learn something that's going to come back to bite the b5 crew later and the answer is no you know if he scans somebody he didn't get anything that is relevant or comes up later well and sheridan even says it you know he says look everything that we've we were planning and everything that we were into has already come to fruition for the most part so um i don't think he can hurt us anymore and i think he kind of knows that too you know and lita is conspicuously absent during all of this right She's getting energy blasted into her. Yeah. Yeah. She's having a baby. Yeah. (laughs) Were all the weapon telepaths really blips or were they Psychor members? I think they're who they wanted to disappear. Right. So I'm I'm guessing most or all of them were blips, be my guess. The expendable ones for experimentation. Right. Hmm. Yeah, because they they don't like to uh they don't like to dispense with um with with telepaths easily but if these if these blips were truly of of no uh use to them and they were pains in the butt they were more than willing to give them up for for payment sure and it logically makes sense that you know you're not going to give your enemy your best stuff your potential enemy your best stuff right Right. you're going to hand them your blips knowing full well that you think you have this psychor that's loyal to you that's more powerful anyway Mm-hmm. no doubt a, a selling tactic by morton you know like oh come on just just give us these throwaways it'll be fine he is he is a bit of a salesman he definitely has that smarmy used car salesman thing going on sorry to our listeners who uh, sell car you definitely see him trying to sell a 1985 buick <laughs> <laughs> you know what you are is so carolyn still pregnant and does bester really love her i don't think yeah. they address it the pregnancy part yeah I think we just have to take it as a given from what we what we got here. And since she never comes out of the suspension, you know, the cryo-free stuff, you just have to say yes, she is. Mm-hmm. But Bester really does love her. I think that's pretty clear. In his sick... <laughs> sick way yes absolutely it's not a it's not a pure love as we've talked about before but but, uh but yes it you know he he does love her in his own way i mean i think that walter koenig you know made it made it really clear that he wanted to uh or he liked having a little bit more of a complex character and this episode definitely makes him a more complex character having flashes of like the princess bride and like true love um the books by the way established carolyn was killed when they uh bombed the uh facility on mars oh dear oh no war. take that oh, buster <laughs> and carolyn um what is the shadow's plan for the telepaths is it just for the ship's or do they need their power, too, for finding things in hyperspace? I think this is where the newbies missed. I don't think they listened to what Garibaldi read from the Book of Jaquan. 
because what they said in there is it was the shadow, it was the telepaths on Narn that drove the shadows away. And it was the presence of Bester when the shadow ship turned and ran. It's not so much that they need them to find things in hyperspace. They want to use shadow telepaths as pilots in the shadow vessels that can counter other telepaths. I think that's what they're getting yeah. at. They want a counteroffensive knowing their vulnerability is telepaths. Because I don't think you need a telepath to to run the shadow ship. You can have pretty much anybody running the shadow ship and be the core, but mm-hmm. it helps significantly if the core is a telepath for exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. You can shove anyone in there as long as they're prepared or Anna Sheridan. You just throw them in there and it'll do the trick. Was the first telepath they showed in the cryotube, was that Morden? No. 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 And I don't looks think more... it looked particularly like Morden either. Sorry. No, he, looks, he looked like he looked more like uh Rimmer from Red Dwarf than Morden. <laughs> <laughs> so that that dispenses with the uh, newbies questions, but then we also have their predictions. We've got a couple of those. The Shadows wanted telepaths from EarthGov in return for helping Clark ascend to the presidency. It's not really a prediction so much as a theory, but I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we actually get a real answer to that, so mm-hmm. it's up to interpretation, but certainly it's a plausible theory that's very interesting. I mean, out of the Londo playbook, they probably did Earth's bidding for free and then came back and said, okay, now you owe us a favor. Yeah, we know that the Shadows were actually playing the Psycor and EarthGov against each other quietly in the background, hence Edgar's gets involved in season four because he doesn't like the cycle. He thinks they're far more intimidating of a threat. And he has this virus that um, the shadows made to screw over the cycle, which is interesting, but he was still, they, they were doing their chaos thing of everyone's, you know, scared of one another. And the final prediction Bester isn't as powerful in the cycle as we think the, that he is or influential. I think they meant. Well, I think he is. He does you know, give you a, uh, a little bit of a glimpse into that in this episode where it, it's pretty clear that he's certainly not all powerful. Uh, he's a cop. Yeah. I was going to say he, he's never really made any, any assertion that he's top dog, just that he, thinks, he is a he big shot. He, but he thinks he is in this episode and he does think in the future, like I will lead our telepath people. Like I'm, I'm the one who really understands the thing that needs to be done, but I've always appreciated that you start the show and he's a cop who thinks he's bigger than what he is. And then you end the show and he's a cop who thinks he's bigger than he is. Like he hasn't really progressed in power ranking anywhere. He's just mm-hmm. staying on the same old beats. Like here I am on Babylon five with another case. Like I, I actually do appreciate that Bester isn't actually as high ranking as you may think he is. I mean, people respect him in the cycle, even in the final episode he's in people like younger, you know, telepath people admire him and think he's cool and maybe even sexy and that's kind of interesting but he's just a a cop with a gun and mind powers who thinks that he's really important but in the confines of the show um he's he's just he's just that which is cool i think that's a good thing to have him be like he has delusions of grandeur and he is powerful but and he does his important things but he's he ends where he started well, and he's he's the most powerful 
telepath to come onto the station. And so the newbies are are seeing him through that prism and not really the, mm-hmm. the full picture, which they don't really have yet. No, they'll they'll get to see more of our good friend Lita. Yeah. The real I mean, te- powerful telepath. Have they all forgotten that behind every one guy who's actually out there doing work, there's like a whole bureaucracy of other people who sit on their asses all day and do nothing? I mean, that this is this is just like real life. <laughs> well, I think that just about does it for the uh, for this stuff. Does anyone have anything else they want to talk about? I think we got this episode covered. And- and more <laughs> you know i'm really glad that uh i think it was you ryan who brought up the fact that the aliens that operated on carolyn and her little flashbacks are aliens we've never seen before mm-hmm. you know not the shadows themselves like i i wanted to say something and i was debating whether to do it or not because none of the other newbies seemed like they picked up on any possible significance to that yeah no, that... justin mentioned that the alien pilot guy was weird and different looking mm-hmm. and i was like ah, eh, you know but not really I latching on to the pilot supposed to be the same type of alien as the one that operated on them. Yeah, it's hard gross to tell. Looking. Yeah, it's hard to tell. But like, and the fact that they said he like had acid all over himself or something. Like, but yeah, the fact that uh, it's it's not clicked with anybody that the shadows might have other allies out there. And that yeah, in no way. We, how could they forget the long dark where they explicitly <laughs> said that the shadows have soldiers and allies? How could we all forget the amazing plot of the long dark <laughs> that set this up? That also had the book of Jaquan that pointed this out. Uh, how That's could we true. forget that amazing episode? Don't worry, we'll have a good Franklin episode next time. So I think that covers us for Ship of Tears. Again, we have been the Gray 17 podcast with special guest Ryan from Yum Yum Pod. Ryan, you want to tell everyone where they can find you at real quick? Yes, Yum Yum Podcast is on all of those podcasting sites that you use, as well as YouTube. You can find us easily, Yum Yum Podcast. We are on those social medias as well under the same thing. We are going through science fiction television. We've done Star Trek Discovery. We're doing Babylon 5. And uh, we also have our episodes releasing on uh, Space Above and Beyond, the 1990s series of from Fox, written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong. A really interesting show that not many people podcast about, so we thought we would fill that void. And yeah, we are just having a wonderful time going through sci-fi TV. My wife and I, uh, Rachel, my wife and I love chatting about all of these shows, and so you can find us wherever you listen to things. And he promised he'd be doing a podcast about time tracks and then not too distant you <laughs> everyone's favorite show time tracks which you, you heard it here really can't find hardly anywhere except on the bowels of the internet and on that note we will be back next week with interludes and examinations where justin will finally get an answer to where has kosh been when kosh shows up to get koshed i have been blake and with me has been kevin mike and ryan Good night, all. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. We appreciate it. It was fun. Real pleasure. I had a great time. I'm always delighted to come on here. You know, if this keeps up, I'm going to start thinking that people around here just don't like me. <laughs>